Let's turn again to Luke 2 and verses 36 and 37. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So we've looked at this uh, sermon and uh, the evangelistic message and how Peter preached it in the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He preached so that 3,000 men were truly converted. What kind of audience was it? Well, it was a very large congregation. I don't know what proportion of them was the 3,000, but it was certainly larger than that. And it was preponderantly uh, an audience of men, and like many churches in Europe and in Korea and Africa, which are overwhelmingly comprised of women, And it had this unique feature also, that it was a gathering of people very familiar with the contents of the Old Testament. It was a Jewish congregation, very different from congregations then in Europe today. And uh, there are parts of the Middle East today when Christian congregations are familiar with the Old Testament. They know about the patriarchs and what happened to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And they know about Moses and they know then about the prophets, and they know the Psalms. So uh, maybe we need to look at uh, another uh, sermon in Acts, in which uh, the Apostle is speaking, not now to a mainly Jewish audience, but say in Greece, in Athens, what he said when he went to people who didn't know the Old Testament scriptures at all. But whether it's speaking to the Old Testament people of God or to Gentiles, then they are addressing people and very quickly they move to speak about Jesus Christ. And they insist that he is the Lord and that people need to turn and to believe in him. And that's the first point I want to make to you then. From this sermon of Peter's, we can see how all men are accountable to God. And they, they wanted to awaken the audience that they were speaking to with the reality of this. The, the, this Lord, Jehovah, had sent his son into the world. And uh, we are living in a moral universe. And it's been appointed unto us all one day to die. And after death, there's an evaluation. There is a judgment that we give an account of ourselves to God. And this sent one, Jesus Christ, who came into the world, um, he lived a blameless life, but he died. Well, why, why should he die? Because death is the wages of sin. Well, he died as a sacrifice. He died as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And we know that because God accepted the sacrifice and raised him from the dead to his right hand. And whether Paul was preaching in Athens to the Greeks and their philosophers, or whether Peter was speaking to the Jews and their leaders in Jerusalem, these facts about Jesus Christ were the climax of the sermon. They hurried to get to Jesus Christ. 
their longing when they were preaching was to arrive and say, now let me tell you about my beautiful, my glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So they didn't start by telling people that God loved every one of them, but that God, rather, was holding them accountable now, how you've lived your life until today. What sort of life that you've been living? I met a Presbyterian minister in Australia named Peter Barnes. I'd read his books with profit, and uh, I met him, and uh, just an ordinary biblical preacher, and we had a coffee together one morning and a good time of fellowship, two ordinary preachers. And I noticed a little article he's written in the Banner of Truth for February. And uh, he'd been asked by a Christian schools group to talk to uh, teenagers in a church. And so he drove up in his car and he got out and he walked towards the church and they'd put a banner outside the church. And the banner outside the church said, Jesus loves you. And then he went inside the church and they'd put up another banner inside the church which said, Jesus is Lord. And he told them then, uh, sweetly, that the banners should have been the other way around. That... uh, The one inside to encourage uh, these Christians, these Christian school children, on Saturday they'd come for a meeting, they should have been encouraged by the, the sign, Jesus loves you. And then outside, facing the world, there should have been this other barrier, this other banner. And this banner said, Jesus is Lord. And so the climax of this message is he's going through and he has three texts from the scriptures. And then he comes to this climax and the application is that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And that's how it ends. Christ is Lord. And all of us have got to answer to him. He made the world. He made you. He sustains you and blesses you with every good and lovely thing. He's given you a conscience. And when you're nasty to your parents, and when you're short-tempered and lustful and take things that don't belong to you, the Lord knows. And you will answer to him. The name of his son is Jesus Christ the Lord. And do you know he's loved you so much, he's brought you here this morning. And he's brought you here in order that you'll hear about him, who he is and what he's done and why he's worthy of your lives and your worship and your service. He is the source of all the wonderful things that have ever happened to you. Not luck, not karma, none of those things. A loving, caring, personal Almighty God is working everything after the counsel of his own will. And he's been so good to you, though you've been neglecting him. He's the author of every smashing, delightful, blessed, enduring delight. That was given to you by Almighty God. Now why should I believe this? Well, because of the presence in this world, in history, of this wonderful man, this Lord Jesus Christ, this real figure, preached the Sermon on the Mount. 
gathered in the upper room and gave a discourse there. It's recorded in John's Gospel. It's just breathtaking. He spoke these words in John 10 about being the good shepherd who doesn't run away when the wolf comes but lays down his life for his sheep. He gave parables like the prodigal son. Never did any man in the history of the world speak like Jesus Christ spoke. The greatest impact he made on people weren't really the things that he did, but things that he said and how he said them. He spoke with a kindly authority. Not like the scribes who hid behind quotations. He made the greatest claims. He existed before the world began. Before Abram was, he was. He he is the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to God but by him. He's going to be the judge we're going to meet soon. And the standard of judgment is going to be how we've responded to him. Whether we've been proud of him and boasted in Jesus. Whether we've been unashamed. The only boy in the class, the only girl in the school, who's in church on a Sunday morning and says, "Um, I believe he's God. He's my God and Savior. Now, the words he spoke were either the words of some megalomaniac, a lunatic, an evil liar, or they are the words of God. And then you look at him. You know, you see programs about magic on television, and they do incredible things. But those men are not meek and lowly of heart and pure and gentle. And those men don't speak to us things like the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus wrote those words. A person of such integrity, people brought their children and waited in a line, mothers chatting together until it was their turn to hold, give to Jesus, to hold in his arms their baby. And they bowed their heads then as Jesus prayed and asked God to bless the babies. He was a pure man. He never compromised his life with, uh, with women. He was a poor man. He had nowhere to lay his head in a house. When he rode into Jerusalem, he rode on a donkey. Never took a collection. Always told the truth. So here is someone of great integrity, of great stature. He wasn't a comedian. He wasn't an entertainer. He was holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. Jesus did things that only God could do. Do you know he turned great high water pots, four or five feet high, gallons of water. He turned them in a moment into aged wine. He healed everyone who came to him. They were in the last stages of their disease. They they were blind from birth. And Jesus gave them 
life and health. He raised the dead. The winds and waves obeyed him. And so Peter reminds them, because they had been present, this audience, many of them, when they'd heard Jesus preach and they'd seen Jesus do these wonderful things, he says, verse 22, Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. He died because the system got him. The men in grey suits, we'd say today, the men of power, drive in cars with the glass all darkened so that you can't see in. Men who come out and do their nasty work and disappear again. Men in Jesus' day who hated him, hated the influence he had over common people because the common people heard him gladly. But he died according to the will of God. It was God's determinate purpose and foreknowledge that Jesus should die that death. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And whatever God determines before the world began, men always choose in time. And they choose to kill him. But that was the way that our sins, 2,000 years later, and anyone in the next years before the end of the world are going to be forgiven. It's, it's through the Lamb of God. It's through God's Son. It's that great atonement that he has made for us. That's what we believe. And do you know, the folly of, the apparent folly of that message is not something which has only come to light in in, in the last hundred years, through skeptics who mock it. But it came to light in the New Testament time itself. Paul speaks about the foolishness of the message of the cross. It is that we can be reconciled to God and God reconciled to us by his son coming and his son living and his son dying the just and holy one for us, that he became our substitute. It seems incredible. But they believed that it was the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believed it. That it impacted people when they thought, what love that he gave his son. What love that he loved us so much that he gave his son to the cross. What a wonderful God he must be full of. Of love. And how do we know that he was atoning his death? Well, we know it because he told us he'd come into the world not to be served like the Caesars and the high priests with their slaves. But he came to serve. And the peak of his service was to give his life as a ransom for many people. We know it because he told us that's why he came. That was the purpose. He exegeted it. He explained it. It's not just one of these awful things that happen, terrible things that we see on television news and groan about. Another one like that, another failed prophet. It wasn't like that. It was a purpose. 
in dying to redeem us. But we know that it redeemed us because on the third day God raised him. He raised himself. He's lying there. And then an eye opens. And then another eye opens. And he feels the bandages around him, the winding sheet. And he takes them up and he gets up in the tomb and he folds it up. And the stone is removed and out he comes into the world for 40 days to speak to Mary and speak to the women and speak to Peter and John and to the twelve and to 500 on a hill. And he's there answering their questions and ministering to them. Mary said, Rabboni, when she saw him, my teacher. All that he had taught her, she had heard from him, it was all true. He had told her he must suffer many things and die and the third day rise again. Rabboni, you really are the teacher of teachers, she said. And she hurried off to tell the apostles, I have seen the Lord. Now, I, I believe she wasn't telling lies. I believe that she hadn't seen a spook or that it was just up here and not out there, tangible, touchable. I don't believe the many skeptics and unbelievers who are in bed this morning sleeping off the horrors of last night. I believe Mary was right. All right, I've got to choose. I choose Mary. I stand with her. And I believe that the people in this church, that many of them, you know them, and they're honest people, and they are trustworthy people, and they are good men and women. And I believe what they believe. I stand with them, and what Mary believed, and what Peter believed. People who gave their lives. Not because of an ideology of political revolution, but they laid down their lives because they'd seen Jesus and they wouldn't say, they couldn't say otherwise. I was with him. He came. I was on the mountain with hundreds of my friends and we talked to him there. That was the message of New Testament preachers. But more than that, they believed that he was exalted, that he was magnified, that he was elevated, that he was high above this universe. Imagine that. He rules the world. He was in control that day. And so he had called from Libya and, Cybe, um, and, and from Cyrene and from Rome and Greece and Turkey. He had drawn them all because he loved them. He brought them all there that day. They didn't know that they were the recipients of such wonderful love. He brought them and they were all there in Jerusalem when the wind blew and the flames fell and the languages of home were heard there far from home and they were staggered and Peter preached to them. He was showing the love that God had for them and that same love he's had for you today. You wouldn't be here unless he loved you. You've been bad 
You've done the things you shouldn't have done and not done the things you should have done and there's no health in you, but God has loved you and brought you here to assure you of his grace and his pity and his mercy that he is more willing to forgive you your sins than for you to bow your head before him now and say, please forgive me. This Jesus is in charge of your mind and your thinking. He's put in you a a determination, I'll go to Alfred Place on Sunday morning. And I'll sit and I'll listen to what the preacher has to say. God authored, created those thoughts in your heart. And he's been so good to you. He's kept you until now. And so we, we need to tell people then just what Peter did at, um, at Pentecost. He explained who Jesus was, you know, to the boys and girls in school and Boys and girls on the street. Jesus is just a swear word. Christ is just a swear word. We hate hearing it. They have no idea. You can't say trust in Christ to somebody who has no idea that Christ is something more than a swear word. You have to explain. And that's why we have Sunday school afterwards. That's why I speak to you and give you the, uh, the sermons for you to read afterwards for knowledge. People are dying for lack of knowledge. And so that's why we say, come away for the weekend. Let's have a a mission to the university. And that's what Peter did. He tells them about Jesus being Jehovah Jesus, that he made promises and he keeps them. I will rise again, he rose again. I will ascend to heaven, he ascended to heaven. He lives He's more powerful than death itself. He's the one who keeps our heart beating. He's the one who keeps the blood flowing through our veins. He's the one who has every breath when we inhale or exhale. It's all because he personally takes care of us each day. He supplies all our needs. We depend on him. When we trust in him, oh, he becomes our shepherd. And he cares lovingly for us. His grace is sufficient for us every day. That's the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. You know, it's not, he's not just uh, my Christ or a Welsh Christ. Or a 21st century Christ. This Christ is God's gift. He comes from God. There was a, a rescue mission from heaven. There was a complete deliverance. He came not to advise us. Not to wag his finger at us. And not come with an improvement program. How we can sort out our lives. But he came to deliver us from the lordship of unbelief. He came to make us those that trusted him and were prepared to drink the cup that he filled and gave us to drink whatever was in it. And so to poor people and broken-hearted people and sick people and troubled people, he comes and he has a message of good tidings, of great joy for them.
Those that have lost confidence in themselves and wonder what life is all about. He comes. Poor, broken sinners. The wonderful thing that God has done in in giving his son. And so God has made this Jesus Lord. He's made him Christ. And so if he's Lord, we we bow, don't we? If uh, I should be invited to Buckingham Palace, then I would be given instructions of what to say to the queen, to wait until she puts her hand out before I shake her hand, that um, I should call her ma'am and say it like that, not ma'am, and uh, I should wait for her to take the initiative and listen to her and respond kindly and not hog her, and I would do all those things because of her office. And when I stand in the presence of almighty Jesus Christ. Then I bow in wonder. I'm lost for words. Why should you love me? Is my question. Why should you have mercy on me? So the Christian gospel preached by Peter. Is news about what God has done for sinners. It's not instruction. It's not exhortation. He didn't say anything so that we read in our text today that the response was, Brothers, what shall we do? You haven't told us what to do. You've told us all about Jesus Christ that we're terribly convicted. We killed him, God's son. We're going to meet the God whose son we've killed. What shall we do? The gods, of course, of other religions are full of telling you what to do. You to pray five times a day. You were to pray this prayer at nine o'clock and this prayer at eleven and this at one and this at five and this at nine o'clock. You are to fast for one month in a year. You are to go off on a pilgrimage. They tell us you are to wash in the river Ganges and when the stars and the moon are in a certain place, they tell us, do this, do this, do this. The gospel comes of Jesus Christ and it says, consider him, look at him. See this great Savior. Fall before him. Acknowledge him. That he is God and you are God. Say, oh, I wish it wasn't me, Lord. I'm so sorry for what I've done. This gospel of what Jesus did and how he died and rose from the dead, it's good news. And uh, that's what Peter preached and that's what Paul preached and that's what's what we find through, through the Acts of the Apostles. And so you must acknowledge him as Lord. That's what Peter ends with. God has made him Lord. Acknowledge him as your Lord. Um, No Christian has a stiff neck. Every Christian bows in the presence of Jesus Christ. Every Christian has sore knees because he kneels before this Savior. He doesn't feel cool towards God. He responds appropriately. He makes a thoughtful commitment An educated commitment, a biblical commitment to God. 
take my life and I will be ever only all for thee, he says. So faith in, in Jesus Christ is not uh, faith in um, some uh, Bertie Wooster figure who is a, rather uh, a, a silly fool and uh, he's waiting always for Jeeves, his butler, to come and deliver him from some jam or other all the time. Um, Jesus Christ isn't uh, too much of a gentleman to force himself into your life, but his hands are tied now and he's looking at you helplessly and he's uh, wondering when you're going to do something first because uh, he's impotent, a milksop. That's, that's not the faith that Peter preached at Pentecost. God has made him Lord. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's what Peter said to the people at Pentecost. He's got all authority. He can make you willing in a powerful day. He can not only bring you here, but he can touch your heart. And that stubborn will, he can bend it. And that heart of stone, he can take it away and he can give you a heart of flesh, a heart that loves and praises God, a new heart. The terms he lays down are very clear. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, he says. And that goes, if anyone, anyone in Downing Street, anyone in Buckingham Palace, anyone in the National Health Service, anyone working for the BBC and the, and the media, any school teacher, any ruler, any leader, any millionaire, any ayatollah, if he would come after me, he, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and, and follow me. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I mean, if one day I discovered that there was something in my life that really displeased Jesus Christ, Would I stop that moment doing it because it displeased him? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Are we real Christians? All of us. Are we really following the Lord Jesus Christ? I see a lot of religion in professing churches around that is religion without repentance. It's faith without knowledge. It's Christianity without discipleship. It's a profession without any behavioral change or any tangible evidence that this Jesus is the Lord of their lives. In a recent meeting in a church not far from here, Outside of Aberystwyth in the country, six people came into membership. They weren't present the Sunday before and they weren't present the Sunday afterwards. They just came that Sunday because 30 years earlier, their mothers and fathers had joined that church and it was part of the tradition in which they were raised that they would become members of that church. But they didn't intend to worship there on Sundays. 
If you said to them, do you believe in God? They'd say, oh yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Oh yes, they would say. Well, what's wrong? Why have they attended a church and become a member, never intending to go there each Sunday? Well, it's a matter of intellectual assent. It's a matter of sacred tradition. That's the reason for it. It's like the old Roman Catholic conception of faith, believing what we tell you. People say, when you're a certain age, you should join the church. And that's what they have done. See, these are the errors that we face today. The error about Jesus of Nazareth. That you can't separate his lordship from all the benefits of his teaching and his sacrifice and his shepherding care of us. There's an error about repentance. In the Bible, faith and repentance are inseparable. They are the two sides of one coin. And you can't have the one without the other. They're like love and marriage. You can't have one. No, you can't have one. No, you can't have one without the other. Faith and repentance are joined together. And there's an error about the new birth. The new birth is described as a life from the dead and being made a new creation of regeneration. And the hearts that we have that are rebirthed by the Holy Spirit then are really going to respond to Jesus Christ. They're going to say, oh, he's Lord. I must serve him. I must follow him. There was a, a student here and, uh, some years ago, and uh, the student became a Christian. And a friend had been speaking to him, and he talked to this friend, and he said to this friend, um, well, now, what church should I worship in? Friend said, well, there are a number of churches in town. There's uh, Alfred Place. Jeff Thomas is the minister there. And uh, he preaches long sermons. Good, he said. I'll hear more about Jesus Christ. And he came the next Sunday and he never stopped. And I baptized him and married him. And now he preaches in the valleys of South Wales. In little churches. He's gone on and on with the Lord. He had a new birth. His heart wanted to know more and more of Jesus. And there's an error about discipleship. Please never think that it's possible for you to make a decision to become a Christian and that years later you may decide to take Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Master. That simply is not possible. That road that you walk when you're a disciple of Christ, but you don't own him as your Lord, that is the road called gospel hypocrisy. And people who walk the road of gospel hypocrisy tear themselves apart. They almost lose their sanity in trying to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their saviour, but doing things they know are terribly displeasing to him.
Without holiness, no man can see the Lord. One man whom I greatly respect, who walked along the road of gospel hypocrisy for two years, almost lost his soul trying to be a man of God and a man of the world. And today he steadfastly opposes the heresy of being a Christian without acknowledging Jesus Christ is Lord. He steadfastly opposes it because he can never forget those two years. And he says, a burnt child will always remember the fire. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as, as the Lord. Your Lord. Your Lord today. Your Lord tomorrow. Until you see him and are like him. Jesus Christ, my Lord. Our Heavenly Father, bless your word to us, we pray. and Give it saving power in our lives. Deliver us from any false doctrines we have. Any excuse we make to do things our way and not to acknowledge thee to be Lord of everything about us, all our future. I pray, gracious God, that we'll not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We won't be ashamed this week to say to somebody, I am a Christian. And we pray that good will come from our testimony and strength to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.